Welcome to the Get Emergent podcast. This is a podcast about leadership development, improving communication, and enhancing team performance. I'm Cindy Massinger. And I'm Ralph Simone. And we've been just kind of sharing some notes about things we're hearing from our clients over the last few weeks. And one of the big complaints is that people aren't influencing as much as they'd like to influence. No, I'm, I'm in there. I wish I was more influential. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how you're going to help me here on this podcast. You know, some of the things I'm hearing are just not being heard by peers, you know, finding it challenging. People are kind of stuck in their own perspective and not open to hearing other people. So they're not being heard. I think a lot of times they're late to trying to influence. It's the decision has gotten to the point where it's so far down the process that any attempt to influence anything is really, you know, it's too late. Or the last is, I think a lot of times people don't even believe in their own power that they can influence, like influencing two levels above them, for example. You know, they don't believe that they have the capability to do that. And I think there's so much in all three of those situations that we could build off our podcast today. And I think we should go back to our definition of being a leader is one who influences and inspires purposeful action. And the ability to influence doesn't just happen. It must be practiced and nurtured. So this is why we're talking about this topic. And I love the fact that you shared some real frustrations among some of our clients. And one of the things for me, when I get stuck in any of those three points, is I think there needs to be this willingness to be influenced. So we're often focused on how we can influence others. But I think we need to take a hard look at ourselves and how open are we? to being influenced to a different course of action. And I I mean, this will sound like I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, but we recently uh, successfully bought a house when we were told we we're going to have to participate in a bidding war. But one of the things I was really proud of is we were really willing to be totally influenced by the real estate agent about the price, the terms, the conditions, the contingencies. And in, lo and behold, We got the house, but also what I'm noticing is that willingness to be influenced, the realtor is very receptive to some of our ideas around the listing of our house. And I do think there is a connection to being willing to be influenced and to then be able to influence others. Well, I think people sense that, you know, when you're in a conversation, it doesn't have to be said, they can sense it by your energy, by your body language by lots of different things, they can sense your willingness or your resistance to being open to what somebody is saying. And so I think when you sense that they are willing to be influenced, or at least have a willingness to be open to a different idea or feeling about something, it's a higher engaging communication. I think so. And in our work, we talk about two parts to influence. And and I'd like you to kind of say more about those, but it's laying the foundation to influence anything. And then two, the method in which we go about influencing. But could you talk to our listeners a little bit about laying the foundation? Sure. And, you know, this speaks to the challenge recently about people either being late to the opportunity to influencing a situation 
or just not believing that they have the ability to influence something. I think laying the foundation consists of building rapport with people and building trust with people. And yeah, I know, you know, rapport building is sort of that fuzzy thing that people sort of roll their eyes at. This is a business. I'm not running a youth organization or, you know, whatever it is. But I think building rapport, building professional rapport with people so that when you are in the situation where you haven't asked to make or you want to persuade somebody in a different way, they're more open to receiving that. There is a correlation with, we know from Robert Cialdini's work around persuasion, we know that liking is part of persuading people. You know, we like people that are similar to us when we have common goals or when we're aligned around goals and when they pay us compliments. And so when there is a rapport with someone, it's just much easier to influence. You were connecting that to building rapport is helping with not being late in the process, right? So if we have the rapport with somebody, we're more likely to get pulled in and you remind me of a story. The first manager's job I applied for at Carrier in 1980. And not only did I not get the job, I didn't even get an interview. And I was so upset that I went to my boss's boss, you know, all frustrated. And he said to me, you don't get ready for the job when you see it posted on the board. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was late in the process. And I thought that that message has always stuck with me. So the, the importance of building the rapport and actually I think the second part of laying the foundation is building trust with people. So it's not just having the rapport and the professional relationship, but it's also trust. It's I trust that you're credible, that you have the ability to do what you say you're going to do. And I, you also have the integrity around fulfilling a commitment in the time frame in which you have committed to doing something. It's when I believe you have both the capacity and the competency to do something that you say you're going to do. And that's trust. So I think influencing has as much to do with relating as it does with achieving. And I think some of our leaders don't want to pay the price on the foundation building part of this, which is the rapport and trust building. Absolutely. I, you know, I have people say to me very frequently, my experience speaks for itself. <laughs> my accomplishments should speak for themselves, right? Okay. Well, how is that working for you? <laughs> it's, it isn't because there's another side to that. Yes, your experience does speak for itself. But if you don't have the relationship and the rapport and the trust with individuals, they are not going to be influenced or it's just going to be a harder thing to influence when you don't have that. So assuming we're influential and getting them to look at the importance of balancing, relating with achieving, right? Building that foundation. What are some of the methods that we would suggest they use to influence outcomes? We love two experts in this area. One is what we learned from our times in college, probably when we took philosophy around Aristotle and Aristotle's three modes of persuasion, which are ethos, logos, and pathos. And I also think we could share a few techniques as well from an expert on persuasion, Robert Cialtini. 
Yeah, well, could we elaborate on Aristotle's though yeah, for before we to, jump into? Yeah. So when you say ethos, what, what do you mean by ethos? So ethos is really the credibility that we have. You know, if you look at it almost in a triangle, right? With ethos at the top and then logos and pathos on either side of the horizontal corners. Ethos is the credibility that we have. It's our diploma on the wall. It's our education. It's our experience that we've had in a certain field, right? It's mm-hmm. it's speaking to a topic that people know we can speak to from an experience and an education perspective. That's ethos. You know, think about when you a person walks in a room with a white lab coat. What's the first thing that you think? A doctor, right? They're a doctor, right? They instantly have some form of credibility. You know, you and I were on the same conference call a few months ago when the individual said, well, if my doctor tells me to do something, that's what I'm going to do. And I said, really? (laughs) Because I don't. (laughs) Because my doctor doesn't have the next part of this triangle. I'm going to skip logos for a minute and go right to pathos. They don't have the emotional connection with me to be really excited. And so we got into that a little bit, but that's what pathos is. But, you know, that was me. You go ahead. Well, I think, though, that I like that because I think that's the piece around laying the foundation. You know, the people that say, you know, my experience should speak for itself. That's ethos. But the pathos is investing time in rapport building and trust so that there's a feeling of confidence that someone elicits based on how they interact with you. And I think it kind of cycles back to the story you were telling earlier about some of our clients. And then, right, the other one is logos, right? We want to support it with logic, right? We're going to make a case emotionally and and have some credibility, but we also want to support it with some data, some logic, some analytics. Well, I want to know that your thinking is sound. Yes. I want to know that what you're trying to convince me of is well thought out and makes business sense, right? It follows a process. I want to understand your thinking. And that's the, that's the, the logic part. That's logos, right? So those three, those three pyramids. And I think just taking the time when we are in a situation that we want to influence something that we think about how are we using each of those elements? Many times we were in a situation that we want to influence and people don't know our ethos or our credibility in something. And it might be hard. It might not feel authentic to speak about ourselves in that way. And how we are credible or what our credentials are in a situation, right? Well, quite frankly, I think we at Emergent often underplay ethos to our disadvantage. We're overly humble and we don't want to talk about our credentials in the area. And I think that could actually adversely affect our influence in some instances. And I think, you know, a way around that is to have advocates for you who speak up for you and said that sometimes that can feel a little bit more comfortable. Sure. Um, That could be one way to go around that. So those are the skills from Aristotle. Let's go to Cialdini for a little bit. So he has six modes of persuasion, but I think we wanted to focus on in this podcast, 
three to master. So which three would they be? These come from his book that he wrote in 1984 called Influence of Psychology of Persuasion. So this is ethos, right? Here's a person who's been talking about persuasion and influence for over 40 years. He's a guy to pay attention to. So three of the things that he writes about, one is authority, two is consensus, and three is scarcity. We'll dive into each of those. I think authority directly ties back to what we were referring to earlier about ethos and credibility. We use the example of a doctor in a white coat. But I think it reminds us about how do people know what we are the expert in? Pay attention to that now, not when you're looking to influence something. So, you know, right now, just sitting here on this podcast right now, I'm I'm looking at the window on Zoom, right? There's an opportunity for me to put, you know, I have a pretty picture on the wall, but there's also an opportunity for me to put a big degree It speaks for itself, right? If I had something on the back of my wall, for example, you know, that's a way to show authority. The person walking in the room with the white coat, it's a way of showing authority or credibility. What would you add to that? Publishing a book, right? Publishing a book on the subject of leadership gives us some level of authority on this topic. And and that's why part of 2021, we're working on that. Right, right. Just stating Cialdini, 1984, his book, Over 40 Years, just that brings a level of authority or credential to the topic that we're talking about today. The second one is around consensus. They also call this social proof. So it's been proven that we definitely do things that other people do, whether conscious or not, Mm -hmm. right? You go first. Well, I think it's part of our need to belong, part of our affiliation drive. I mean, we conform to rules and norms of organizations because we want to fit in. And I think that their you know, social proof has a large influence on our behaviors. I mean, just look at Facebook and Twitter, right? All of social media has a huge impact, positive, and in some cases, less than positive on how people feel about themselves in what they do. And if we're using this idea of consensus in an organizational scenario, you know, being able to speak to what other companies are doing in a similar business, for example, but being able to speak to that could be a form of consensus or social proof. And I think that's what GLG is trying to get at in that scenario. It could also be connected to authority because if some of these companies are perceived as leaders in their field, we might even pay more attention to what they say. And the third point from Cialdini that we want to touch on today is this idea of scarcity. People are persuaded when they believe that there is a threat to losing something or that there is a perceived threat to giving up something that is important to us, right? Not to be confused with like bullying someone, you know, not talking about that, but more in the event of, you know, sort of losing something when we believe that if we don't do something, there will be an adverse effect. Yeah, almost like we need to move on something quicker because the time is running out. That is a scarcity strategy to influence people to make a decision. Discount Uh expires on September 30th. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's a, exactly, exactly. So what if we applied all of the things that we just talked about to a situation? I love it because one of the situations that we have been confronted with is around bringing people back to the physical workspace and the different opinions and how to influence how to do that, (laughs) when to do that, what's best. I mean, right. So I, I love it. And I think we should apply what we've been talking about to that particular challenge because people are trying to influence that in many different ways as we speak. So let's take the stand of, let's say that I'm being called upon to take the stand for keeping all of my people working remotely. Let's say in our scenario, there's two different perspectives. One, keeping everyone working virtually. Two, bringing everyone back physically to the world. Let's skip the hybrid solution for now. Let's just say both. I like your setup there and let's do it that way. But I think that even that is why it's sometimes difficult to influence or to be influenced because we do take one view or the other, right? So that's, I know that's not right, but we'll take, we'll take one or the other. And so what you're saying is that we don't believe there's a third alternative. Right? I think that actually compromises our ability to influence. However, if we were trying to influence to uh, everybody working remotely, I think the first thing I would do is quote and reference some authorities that will talk about how productivity is actually higher when people are working from home, right? You eliminate the commute time on either end. They can be more focused in particularly on tasks that lend themselves well to independent work. So I think I would cite some authorities if I were trying to influence working from home. I'd pull in pathos. I would pull in some stories, success stories, obviously not ones that didn't work for me, but I would pull in success stories of where people's productivity actually has increased from working virtually. That would be my part of pathos. I would take a look at what others are doing in the area. You know, I was surprised when my neighbor told me that one of the large utility companies, this is a long time ago, wasn't even thinking about bringing most people back to the physical workspace until after Labor Day. And so I would, you know, look at that and, you know, what, what are others doing? Provide some social proof of what is going on, not only around the country, but particularly in the region in which we work and operate. The last one around scarcity could be, you know, what we're afraid to lose by bringing people back to the office. So let's say I'm trying to influence everybody working virtually. I think what we could lose there by not allowing the whole virtual workplace is a level of engagement. We could go both sides to this one, but I think I would want to show some data to the level of engagement of working virtually. Let's go to the opposite because we want to seem somewhat partial to this very important issue that most everybody is facing today. But let's take the stand now of what if I'm trying to influence 100% everybody comes back to the office? What if that's what I'm trying to influence? I think from a standpoint of pathos, I talk about we are social beings and we have this need to connect. 
And I think I would talk about the accidental collisions that occur when we have people back in the physical space and the creativity and the synergy that occurs when we have those accidental collisions. That's a great example, great example of pathos. Not to duplicate what you said, but for consensus or social proof, I would go to what other people are doing in our in our industry, kind of repeating what they said on the opposite side. But I think showing the data and telling the story about what other companies are doing, as that would be my consensus. By the way, the thing that's coming up for me right now is if this example in taking each argument, I think is a tremendously effective way of influencing somebody to whichever direction you want to go, because you're you're showing that you're open to the pros of each scenario. The pros and cons. Well, this is Logos. Actually, what we're doing right now is Logos. We've thought it through from both angles. And I think the other thing is you got to be careful not to let your strong opinion that is not supported by data or Logos to cause you to draw a line in the sand and take a position. I think if you really want to to not be influential, take a strong, hard stand that you cannot support (laughs) with facts and data. And uh, you you can certainly ensure that you will be less influential in the long term. You know, that could be part of where we go sideways sometimes is by allowing our feelings or our thoughts drive what we're asking for when they are not supported by credibility or logic, well, right? When there's too much pathos. There's one declaration that I think has helped me immensely become a little more influential over the years, and that is, I don't know. Like, even on this topic, I have no idea what the best answer is. I really don't know. I, I, I know, I know I, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And I think if you can start from, I don't know, and I have some preferences, but then I think supporting those preferences with these persuasion tools, I think is critical to uh, being more influential. I'll take a shot at maybe summarizing what we've talked about today. I love this conversation about influence and I can net it out with a few points. I think the recommendation of making sure that people lay the foundation to be able to influence absolutely anything is so critical. And by laying the foundation, we mean establishing professional rapport with people, building trust, credibility, integrity with people so that when the time comes to where they want to influence that person or those people, they have the foundation in place. And then the second is don't be afraid to experiment with different ways of influencing or persuading people. Don't forget about credibility, about using stories or emotion to inspire people showing that you've thought things through logically, using what other people are doing, consensus, and then the scarcity, you know, what would we lose by not doing something or by doing something? How was that? That was great. And what I'd add, be open to being influenced, be okay with not knowing, and take both sides. Take both sides. Just like we did today. 
And to all our listeners, please continue to come back and for more episodes of the Get Emergent podcast, including our Driving Leadership series with our partner, Bill Berthel.